Hello and welcome to Mac Bytes episode 35. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, the browser queen has something new to play with and I get to watch Jeremy Kyle on the iPhone. But first, following up on last week when we discussed creator codes, how OS X decides which application should be used to open a file, you found a free app this week. I did. It's called um, Shiny Droplets. That's a rather dodgy mm. name, isn't it? Mm, depends on your point of view, I suppose. I'm starting the show well this week. Anyway, Shiny Droplets, stop sniggering people, is um, a free bundle of applications for opening text documents in specific applications. And I must admit, I've not actually tried it. Yeah, talking of sniggering, Jane made a comment about me stifling my sniggering last week on uh, MacBytes. I said we'd leave that for the uh, outtakes at Christmas. Oh, yes, he doesn't always stifle himself. No. Uh, uh, you've had a really couple of busy weeks, though, haven't you? Absolutely. Uh, we took a week off on what I thought would be the busiest week, but the last two have been just as busy. So, um... Yeah, you've even neglected your Mac, so things must have been busy. Anyway, uh, getting back to uh, Shiny Droplets. You're sniggering again. <laughs> I tried it. You tried Shiny Droplets? Uh, cool. <laughs> I'd try Shiny Droplets. I download the zip file and on unzipping it, you get a, a folder called Shiny Droplets 2. Move this to your applications, open it and drag the droplets to the Finder toolbar. And to use them, you simply drag a text file onto the appropriate droplet icon and the file will open in the specified application, assuming the app is installed. And if you select multiple files, they'll be open in separate tabs within the same application, again, assuming the app actually supports it. It currently supports Espresso, Xcode, TextMate, BBEdit, Coda, MacVim, which sounds like MacJim, actually. <laughs> it does. Maybe it's his app. <laughs> Emacs and Smultron. I don't actually see the difference between that and just dragging and dropping the icons of whatever applications you want um, to a Finder window. Yeah, the uh, icons look like, uh, it just looks like an extension of Finder. Yeah, but I, I mean, I know they look like they fit in maybe, but they just don't stand out. So I've seen the one that, for Coda, which is a leaf, but the leaf's black, whereas the green Coda icon just very distinctive. Yeah, the espresso one is, is just a coffee cup. It's very indistinguishable. I had to zo actually zoom in to see what it was. Yeah, it just looks like a black blob. Now, I actually use espresso. I love it. And the icon is a work of art. Um, it's a coffee cup. You can actually see the steam coming off the coffee cup. So um, I think it's a crime not to use the uh, icons of the app themselves. Unless they're copyrighted or something. True, but then, like I'm saying, I wouldn't say use an, an, an extra app like this is. You can do that anyway. Maybe people don't know that you can do that. But you can just drag and drop any application onto a Finder window, um, and then that application's icon will be there for you to use. You can either click it to run the application, or drag and drop a file over the, the icon, and when you drop it, it uh, opens that file in the application. Yeah, I've done that with the dock, and I think you've done it with CS4, haven't you? put them on the the finder toolbar um what i've put on the finder toolbar is um the different applications i would use to open graphics so obviously right. if it's if it's a photoshop file i can double click it but um if it's a jpeg and i might want to work on fireworks in it then you're back to the right clicking that we talked about last week so um i put photoshop fireworks and illustrator on um, every finder window 
And again, the, the, the icons, then they're very strange, the CS4 icons, which were started in CS3. They're, they're very square and they just have um, letters in the middle. So uh, it's based on the periodic table. And when they first came in, people were saying, oh, they're a bit plain. But actually, it works very well because they're very distinctive. You know, Photoshop is blue, Fireworks is yellow, Illustrator's orange. So you can really see them. And that's my point with these um, droplets. They all look the same and they're very indistinct. So why not just use the application icon? Yeah, I think although it's uh, it's good, this shiny droplets, I think it could do with a few more applications. I think the developer is actually working on more stuff. On the reviews on the website, uh, they did say somebody had asked about Text Wrangler and they did say that they were working on that. The, uh, you can you can actually down this, load this from blog.shinyfrog.net slash tag slash shiny droplets. So I'll stick that in the show notes because that was a bit of a mouthful. I'm saying nothing, I'm saying nothing. But in a similar vein to um, the mouthful that is indeed Shiny Droplets, uh, also released this week is Toolbar Extras. Sadly, another one I didn't try, but luckily you did. I did. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's amazing how we can keep, keep our clean tag. I don't suppose double entendres count, do they? No. And anyway, I didn't say a word. <laughs> no, you didn't. You just insinuated. No, a pause of just the right length says it all. Length? See? Another pause. <laughs> Never said a thing. Get on with it. Yeah, let's go on with it. A few weeks ago, we looked at uh, forklift, uh, forklift and Pathfinder and uh, Toolbar Extras from Mosaic Interactive. It's a set of applications that adds uh, some additional functionality to your Finder windows. So it is a, it's a little bit like some of the extras from a Forklift and Pathfinder. Again, you download the zip file, you unzip it, and this time you get a folder which has got two subfolders. One's called Leopard and one's called Tiger. Now, the Leopard one does actually support uh, Snow Leopard. You open the appropriate folder, Leopard or, or Tiger, and double-click the Toolbar Extras file inside it. This then opens up a whole list of individual items, and you drag and drop the required items. You can pick and choose the ones you want onto the uh, Finder window toolbar. There's actually 21 apps, and to give you an idea of some of them, one of them is called Lock, and if you use this one, what you do is you select a file or a folder and then you click on the lock icon that you've got on your finder toolbar and what that does is it locks the file or the folder. Now if the file's locked then clicking it, we're clicking the icon that is, will then unlock it. So it's a toggle. How it works once you've got the file locked is if you try and delete it for example you'll get a warning message that tells you it's locked but it does allow you to de actually delete it anyway. Uh, you, you just say, yes, I want to delete it. If you open a file, edit it and save it, then when you come to click the save, you'll actually be advised that it's locked and do you want to save the changes? There's another one called move. And again, you, you drag and drop the move uh, icon up to your finder toolbar. And then you select a file or folder, you click on move and it adds a dialog box that then allows you to select where you want to move this file or folder to. Another one is called delete and a bit dangerous this one because what it does is it avoids using the trash and it permanently deletes the file or folder that you've got selected. So you select it, you click the button on the toolbar and it performs its action. There's one called file which I couldn't get working but that really sounded useful. It actually lets you quickly create a text file. 
which is something that I've always wanted to be able to do um, because coming from obviously from the Windows environment where you can just right click and say a new text file when you're uh, in Windows. Now there's something that allows you to do that isn't there in, in the Mac? Uh, there was, it was one of those things you found, um, but I find that's um, an extension too far for me. Um, I don't like creating files that way. Um, I got burnt a few years ago. Um, I, now it was on um, NTFS, but I found that if I had a file, um, zero file size, it got really uppity about moving it or deleting it. It could see the file and you could see the file was there, but it wouldn't let you do a thing with it. Um, and the problem with that was you couldn't delete folders. So if, if you were six folders down, wouldn't let you delete any of the folders or anything. And the only way I found to, to work around that was go out to DOS and delete it from there. Mm, I remember that. It's just crazy that. So um, I've always steered away from, from creating a file that's actually empty. I always go into the app and create it in there. But I know it's something that you like. Yeah, good old DOS, though. It uh, still has its uses, doesn't it? It saves the day many, many times. Yeah. There's another one of these apps. As I said, I'm just picking half a dozen of them. One's called Shutdown. And again, I didn't want to try this one because I was in the middle of working. But it actually quickly shuts down or restarts your computer. You see, um, I, I just don't find that fascinating myself. No, I you know, don't. You, you can shut it down other ways. Why just have a button there? It's yeah, strange. Exactly. Doesn't seem a file management job that one. No, well, a couple more. I'll just uh, I'll just briefly mention. Another one's called Trash, which securely deletes uh, the files in the trash for all users on all volumes. And one that could actually be quite useful is one called Up. And what that does is it moves up one directory at a time or one folder at a time in your, in your structure. Uh, so it's it's not the same as the back button particularly. There is a subtle difference. Um, this is something that Windows, of course, does have where it allows you to go back up one level in your folder structure. Well, I do that anyway. Um, I see what you mean. There is a difference between going up a level and going back um, back is more of a, a breadcrumb trail. Um, so yeah. you move backwards through the folders that you have recently used. So it's more like um, going back and forwards in a browser. Uh, up will take you, obviously, up a level. Does it take you then back down to where you were, or would you then have to change it and use the back button? I think um, you'd have to change it and use the back button. So you're using two different methods to navigate. What I do is I have turned on um, at OS level the um, path at the bottom of the finder window and that is actually active so I can move um, up a level just by double clicking on it. I can also move up three levels without having to go up a level, up a level and up a level if I use the um, path at the bottom of the finder window so I just use that. Yeah I've got that turned on as well so um, yeah I'll take your point. You can also drag and drop files to it to move them. So if you had some, you know, uh, images maybe on a website and you wanted to move them up two folders, then you can do that as well. This just isn't appealing to me, is it? It just feels disjointed. Um, it doesn't feel like a real app. It just feels unfinished in a way. Yeah, as I say, it's just a, it's just a set of extensions for Finder. Yes, but there's no single point of management. Um, I'd prefer a preference pane or even its own control panel application, something like Steermouse. Steermouse has an icon in your um, in, in with the other preference panes, but when you click it, it actually opens up outside um, the system preferences. 
but this just feels like a set of scripts. Mm, yeah. I also found that some of the apps, like the Trash, I had to enter an admin password, even when I'm logged in as me, you know, like a, a the super admin, and that just slows you down. Mm. Anyway, um, you can don't download it from the developer's site, and I'm, I'll put the URL in the show notes because it is a, a really long URL. But uh, I think from what I've seen, there's a, there's a what they've said is a 30 launch limit on most applications, so you can run the apps uh, 30 times. Um, it's not free for a limited time. It's actually being offered at half price, which is uh, nine dollars ninety nine, so uh, virtually ten dollars. It's normal price is twenty dollars. Hmm. No, I don't think so. However, I am having trouble in Paradise with um, Pathfinder, uh, which was working great. Uh, they brought out the Snow Leopard updates and I got to 5.5.1 and everything was fine. Sadly, it was all downhill after that. Starting with 5.5.2, I've had erratic beach bowling, which isn't as good as it sounds. Um, it really is random. Um, it's happening on all drives, so not just network drives. It's even happening on the local drive. Uh, it seems to be possibly to do with previewing a file. It is happening on multiple files, so it's not just graphics. Uh, and what's happening is I'm clicking on a file, then I'm clicking on another one, another one. And it isn't necessarily the third or fourth or fifth. It could be any number. I might be able to click on 20 or 30 files and everything's fine. And then on the next one, it just beach balls. Um, it takes about, it seems an age when you're sat there, but maybe five, six seconds. But I don't think I should be seeing that. It certainly wasn't happening before 5.5.2. Um, so I was hoping that, you know, it'd be fixed with 5.3 and 4. And no, it's still there. Every time they bring out another point upgrade, I install it and I have a go with it. And it's still there. So I'm seriously contemplating rolling back to 5.5.1 because... I hate intermittent faults. They just take an age to get fixed. I'm yeah. I've not had the same problem. Typical. But then it's not all doom and gloom. I could have. I do have good news too. Uh, might be better to whisper this actually and not tempt fate. Um, but we've talked about some iPhone problems I had when I upgraded to three point one. Um, terrible battery life and even worse, random crashes. I noticed it felt very slow using it as well. When I was trying to bring up the keyboard, you know, it was a couple of seconds before it, it appeared. Probably the worst fault was being unable to receive calls, which is pretty serious with a phone. Um, luckily, I don't use it as a phone that often, but um, it was annoying. Well, after almost two weeks of stress testing, the 3.1.2 update, the phone's faster and it's not crashed yet. And yes, I've turned my notifications back on. I have growls on the prowl. Mm, and no doubt killed the battery again. Pretty much. But then I do have my power monkey. Oh, yes, the monkey charger. <laughs> yes, I used that whilst I was out this week and it's brilliant. And finally, from catching up from, from last week, um, I've solved your problem of not being able to watch Jeremy Kyle at work. That serious, serious problem you have. Really? Do tell. Uh, TV Catch-Up. It's a service that's been around for quite a while, uh, definitely over 12 months, but surprisingly few people seem to have actually been aware of it. Um, it is browser-based, or there is actually an Adobe Air application, and what it is, um, it's a streaming service which streams live TV to your desktop. And what they've done is they've extended the service to 
an iPhone. They now have a mobile site, so you just go to iphone.tvcatchup.com. So for once, it's not a case of there's an app for that. It's a case of uh, there's a website for that. Now, when I set it up on my on my desktop, um, I did need to create an account, but I don't think it did ask me to create an account on the phone. Uh, and as I say, it's a free service, but it's UK only, which makes a change, doesn't it? We get something. So um, it is UK only. If you're based in the UK, it's a fantastic service. Does it work with the blue dot, you know, because I don't even get Edge. So yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll test it tomorrow. And on Thursday, when I'm at our other site where I can get 3G, I'll have Jeremy on at lunchtime. Well, it's that or Vista. Oh, dear. I think I'd go with Jeremy Kyle and I can't stand programmes like that. Mm. Well, each to their own. Uh, did you notice the iPhone ITV app got pulled from the uh, iTunes store this week? I did. It was some gripe about it containing code to enable backdoor 3G streaming. Yeah, apparently if you tried to run it over 3G, it gave you an error message. I was actually rather hoping I could use it over 3G and then I could watch it whilst I was out. But uh, it sounds like um, TV catch-up is just a ticket. Well, as long as you're in the UK and you want to watch one of the available channels, the quality of TV catch-up over 3G is, is amazing. It's actually much better than the ITV app. Um, I did manage somehow to get the ITV app. Um, now, I don't think it was live TV. What I was doing was I'd converted an ITV programme uh, and I'd converted it for cellular access as well. And I managed to stream that over 3G uh, when it very first came out. But the quality was um, pretty poor. Uh, it was quite blocky, pixelated, but the quality of TV catch-up is amazing. So I, I turned my Wi-Fi off thinking, you know, hmm, it'll probably go downhill when I turn the Wi-Fi off. But no, uh, it takes a little bit of time to buffer at the beginning, but the picture quality was identical and it was excellent, excellent quality. Great. Well, after all that excitement, something that's not going to please you. According to an article I read this week, Apple has scrapped plans to integrate Blu-ray drives into its uh, long-rumoured range of redesigned iMacs. That is so very annoying. Now, I've heard quite a few of the purists saying that, um, you know, to get the benefit of Blu-ray, you need a huge HD screen and um, you wouldn't get the benefit if you're watching it on an iMac. But I honestly believe that that just misses the point that some of us want to use Blu-ray for data backup and transfer and not idle entertainment. Um, I have an external Blu-ray uh, writer. It's uh, a light-on model. It works great, but it is £190 a drive. And the thing is bigger than a Mac Mini. So I would say almost twice the size of a Mac Mini. So um, I'd rather have it built into an iMac. I'd rather actually have it built into a Mac Mini as well than have this huge brick sat underneath the iMac. Mm, yeah, take your point. Um, but there's better news for the browser queen here uh, with the release of Cruise. That's C-R-U-Z. You can never have too many browsers. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've only got two or three. So what's different about this one? Uh, this one lets you view multiple pages, uh, not in tabs, uh, although it can work in tabs. But it also has um, a maximum of three columns. So uh, you start off with, a, it looks very similar, just a normal browser when you start off. There's two buttons, um, the icons on which give no indication of what they actually do. I couldn't get um, some float over tooltips either. So being brave, I just clicked it. I thought, aha, 
it does indeed work. So uh, one button turns on a column on the left and one button turns on a column on the right. You then resize those, um, in effect it gives you three panels. You resize them as required and uh, you can load different pages into each panel so you can actually see three at a time. Um, you said tabs, are they at the top or are they at the bottom? They're at the top. Mm, let's not uh, no, 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 what am I saying? Uh, they are at the top of the browser window, but you mean... Gaz and his um, exactly, are they at the very yes. top? No, 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 no. Sadly, they're at um, they're at the top of the browser, but the bottom, as far as Gaz is concerned. So don't get excited, Gaz. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, they they're at the the bottom. Yeah. Viewing, they're where they should be. That'll set him off. Viewing multiple pages actually sounds quite handy, but um, really having them just open in multiple tabs is probably enough. And when I tried it, I found that the pages didn't look quite right. Well, when I started, I had a play around with it. I, I had um, a, a site loaded in the middle, and obviously that tends to look better because these two column views, if you imagine splitting your, your desktop into sort of three, then none of them are actually going to be wide enough for the wide view that people tend to have on web pages. Yeah, so that's I looked my at problem. It, I looked at it and I thought, well, I don't want to scroll right and left with them. Um, but there is a great tip for that. I tend to treat these columns as wing mirrors. And what I do is I have the columns quite narrow on the left and right. So I have a normal size browser in the middle and I just tag on these extra columns on the right and left. And the great tip is um, if you treat them as columns rather than full browser windows, you can elect to load in the mobile version of sites that you want to keep up with. So what I did was I put Twitter on the left and the BBC on the right, making sure that I loaded the mobile version of those sites. Uh, and they fit perfectly into the space available in the column. And then, of course, they're viewable all the time while you surf away in the middle uh, panel. So uh, that's a good tip because that works very, very well. It is a good tip. Um, but how long did it take you to crash it? Oh, it was um, about 25 seconds. It wasn't a record, but it was close. And... Um, the better news is, though, I couldn't replicate it. I've no idea what caused that. Uh, it must have sensed your excitement at a new browser and couldn't cope. Well, clearly. Mm. I, w I was a little, bit, little bit pleased. Well, there was a lot of excitement last week about uh, the release of Tweety 2, and it's good, although we've got a couple of issues with it, don't we? Uh, we do. Uh, overall, I absolutely love it. Um, there's there's a lot of new features in there. There's just one thing for me that I'd like them to, um, in inverted commas, fix, because it didn't work in Tweety 1 like this. Tweety 1, as far as I was concerned, worked in the right way. And what I'm finding is I've got a gap on the timeline. Um, when What happened in Tweety 1? Let's explain what happened in Tweety 1 first. Uh, when I loaded it uh, more than likely in the morning um, I loaded it up it would load in a hundred tweets and I'd then start going backwards through them because it always um, had the latest at the top and once I got scrolling backwards I'd reach the end and I could then carry on and load some more going backwards what's happening with it now is it's loading in the latest 100 tweets uh, now, it always did that, like I've said, but instead of going to the latest tweet, which would be at the top of the window, it stays on the last tweet that you viewed. So, in effect, when you scroll up fractionally from the, the last tweet you viewed to the next tweet, there's a gap. And depending on how long it is since you've switched on the phone, um, there can be a massive gap. 
So like I said previously, you could scroll backwards. I cannot find an option to do that now. Mm, I tried it with uh, Twitterific and Twinkle, and I found the same thing, that I had a gap in the timeline. Um, I also set it to show me the time of the tweets. There's, there's an option you can go in, you can say, set it to absolute, which means show me the actual time of the tweet, like you know, 10 o'clock, or relative, which is like 30 minutes from now. So, you know, 30 minutes before now. But as soon as you hit midnight, all the tweets on the previous day just show up as yesterday. So uh, earlier in the week, I had an early night, and I, I do mean early, it was 10 o'clock. Uh, which is early for me. So the next morning I was catching up on my tweets whilst walking the dog, but anything before midnight, I didn't know the actual time. It just said yesterday. So it, I didn't know whether it's you know half past 10 or a tweet that I'd already seen at like seven o'clock in the evening. Um, I don't actually take much notice of the time, to be honest. Yeah, but then you're usually awake at midnight anyway, so it doesn't affect you. True, true. I do. I would prefer, to be honest, um, in the desktop tweety, rather than having seven minutes ago, half an hour ago, that it did actually have the, the time on them. So um, yeah. I, th I think TweetDeck used to. But now I've got used to tweeting in a column. Um, I think I'd find TweetDeck taking up too much room. Yeah, I never really got into TweetDeck, uh, probably because the amount of space it took up. And, and I never actually got into it on the phone either. I'm, I think I'm sticking with Tweety. Um, although I know um, some people like, um, what's it called, Twitterlater Twitter later Pro. Yeah, I've never tried that one. I've tried Twitterlater. I've got quite a few Twitter apps on the phone, um, but I always seem to be going back to Tweety. Mm. Yeah, I used to have uh, all three of them, uh, all three of clients on screen one, but then I moved uh, Twitterific and Twinkle, um, so they're on like the, the fourth screen. I thought I don't really need three clients on my first screen. I've got you know more important things. That is excessive. That is definitely excessive. I've probably Says got about she the browser queen. Well, yes, yes, but I've only got one browser on the phone. <laughs> Are there any other browsers for the phone? There are, actually. Uh, I saw one this week, the name of which escapes me. <laughs> I know. It was iCab, which is indeed one of my browsers. Mm. Uh, I was quite surprised at seeing that because um, Opera hasn't made it to the iPhone, has it? It hasn't, which I'm surprised about because that's, that's kind of aimed at mobile um, devices now, isn't it? They were well ahead of their time. Uh, well, Opera with mobile browsers, so um, it surprised me as well. And if there's no other browsers available because of that clause about replicating functionality, then you wouldn't expect to see any of them. So mm. to see one and, and not Opera is quite strange. I don't think we'll get Internet Explorer for the phone. I sincerely hope <laughs> not. Well, that'll be on those Windows devices, won't it, that came out last week that I haven't heard anything about. Lovely. No, I, I've, I've avoided that completely. They were bringing out their own app store as well, weren't they? No, oh, it must have totally escaped me. Anyway, that was a good segue into Microsoft because something I read about this week is uh, Microsoft has extended the official retirement date of Office 2004 to 2012. To now, you know how I read that when I saw that in the show notes? Mm -hmm. You put official retirement date. I thought that you were saying official release date. <laughs> <laughs> they'd slipped somewhat <laughs> the slipping of the slipping isn't it exactly well, i don't know I don't know if my vista was that late yeah that's that late being implemented where i work 
Windows I 7 is mean. out, isn't it, Now, Anyway, mm. digressing here. Uh, it appears that because Office 2008 has no support for VBA, many users simply stuck with Office 2004. Um, Office 2010, which is expected to ship in the second half of next year, will actually see the return of VBA support. I find it quite strange that people have stuck with that one um, because it's PowerPC only. So um, it runs quite slowly, needing Rosetta. Mm. Although you've, you have got alternatives like uh, OpenOffice, but I think having Microsoft Office is like a, a comfort blanket for switchers and VBA is so much a part of Office as well. Although having said that, I've actually talked a few people at work into uh, using OpenOffice, the Windows version obviously, at home. Um, now I just need to convert them to a Mac. Well, if you're trying to convert colleagues again, probably best not mention the great guest account data loss thing this week. Oh, yeah, I read something about that. Uh, my understanding was that if you create a guest account, it can wipe out your home folder, can't it? Apparently, um, it's, it's very subtle. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Another one of those things. And there's some reports of the same thing happening um, way back in 2007. So it doesn't look like it's solely Snow Leopard related either. Um, best advice, don't use the guest account, I guess. Yeah, um, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, you'd kill me, wouldn't you? I would. Mm. Now, if you could only fix my iPhone iMac time synchronising or not synchronising problem, I noticed recently that the time on my iPhone and iMac weren't synchronised. Uh, it was only about a minute out, but that's not the point, is it? No, mine's the same. Um, at one point, it was spot on. And I know it was spot on um, because when an alarm went off on my iMac with um, BusyCal, the same one would go off on the phone at exactly the same time. And then it seemed to lose its synchronization. And now it's almost a whole minute out. Um, I know you can set the time on the phone, but it doesn't go down to seconds level. So whatever the seconds is set to, it doesn't. It just seems to totally ignore it. Um, I, I read that there was an option to automatically synchronize, synchronize it automatically, but I can't find an option. So what I tried to do was um, do it manually first. And because I couldn't change the seconds, I assumed that as soon as I, went, I, I set it to what I wanted it to and I went back a screen, the seconds would be zeroed out. But that doesn't seem to happen. No, it doesn't seem to sync automatically. Um, I don't think you can get it to sync with either another Mac or some kind of time server. I even tried changing it to a different time zone and then back again and it was still out. Mm, tell you what, let's throw it out to the listeners. So uh, if anyone's got any ideas how to sync your iPhone with a Mac, um, please let us know. You better clarify that. Not just synchronise it, but synchronise the time. Mm, yeah, synchronise the time. Well, my iPhone question of the week is about the sound recorder on iPhone. And is there a maximum time it will record for? Because um, I set it going this week, thought I'll give this a test. And um, I was assuming it would use the um, hard drive space that's left on the device, which I had quite a bit, a good few gigs. So I thought, well, I'll leave it recording and see what happens. And it made a recording of 30 minutes, 23 seconds. So there was plenty of space on the phone, so it wasn't that. So if I wanted to record longer, is it sort of bombing out on me after 30 minutes? I'm wondering if I need, if I want to record for longer, if I need another recorder from the App Store. Uh, 
what would be handy is if I could set it to record like an old VCR, so um, actually set the time for it to start, or if, I, if it couldn't do that, um, set a duration for it. So set it recording and then say stop after two hours. But maybe I'm asking too much. Yeah, um, I, there's quite a few apps out there in the App Store. Um, I've got one called Talk from, uh, I think it was from Griffin. And I'm not sure if that allows you to, to specify, um, you know, like a stop time or a duration or anything. Um, so, yeah, let's throw that one out to the listeners as well. And uh, we'll do some research during the week, see what we can come up with. Just seemed quite arbitrary having it at 30 minutes, but there you go. Anyway, on to uh, a bit of a short software review. Um, a while back, we were talking about the dictionary uh, on OS X, particularly the supplemental custom dictionary, which is the dictionary that the user added words get added to. So when you're working in OS X, there is a global dictionary uh, and you have the option from many, many applications, which is all um, revealed via the API to developers. So in many applications, you have an option when you right click on what it thinks is a misspelt word to add that to the dictionary. And it doesn't add it to the main dictionary, it adds it to this supplemental custom dictionary. Now, it's really easy to add words, but it's not ever been easy to edit them. And we were talking about it in relation to upgrading to Snow Leopard and taking a list of words that you have added to your supplemental custom dictionary with you. And we found that there was a file in users, username, library, spelling, uh, and you, it was a plain text file, so you could actually open that and have a look at them. Uh, and thus you could take that file with you from machine to machine. But tinkering around in the system files isn't for everyone. And this is where this application comes in. It's called Dictionary Cleaner from 2AM Software. And um, it's very handy. It's a system preference pane uh, based application. And what it does is it adds basic dictionary management features to the OS. And it's really simple to use. All you've got to do is select the dictionary. So in my case, that would be a British dictionary. What you then see is the list um, of words that you have added to your supplemental custom dictionary. They're listed in alphabetical order. And you get the option to edit those entries, which is very handy because uh, I know a good few years ago I was going through uh, spell checking something and thinking, yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. And I inadvertently added one and it wasn't right. Uh, and it was quite difficult to go in and take that out. And on OS X, you'd have the same problem. So if you've added something and um, it was a misspelling, um, there isn't actually any kind of interface for you to go in and uh, change that. But this application gives you the, the ability to edit entries that you've made. If the entry shouldn't have been added in any way at all, so editing it isn't good enough, then you've got an option to delete entries as well. And if you've got a lot of entries, so um, particularly lawyers, doctors, I've got long, 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 long lists of extra words. Um, so it might be difficult, although they're listed alphabetically, it might be difficult for you to hone in on the word you want. There's also a filter so you can start typing the word you're looking for and it will filter down the list for you so you can uh, more easily find it to edit it. You also have the ability to add words from here as well. So as I've said, the usual way to do it is to um, type the word in a, an application that links to the dictionary and add them from there. But if you know you want to add some words, then you can actually use this preference pane app to do that as well. What I used to do with the dictionary was keep a text file um, with the words I, I always had added. 
and if I wanted to add another one, I would add it to that text file, then right click on it and say add to dictionary. And saving that text file would give me a list of the words. Now this was on a completely different system, I think it was on my Amiga. So you wouldn't actually have to do that on OS X because you can get to the file that is a, just a plain text file that is your supplemental custom dictionary. Um, but it's probably good practice anyway for backup. But um, there are major updates promised to extend the feature set of this application. Uh, personally, I'd like to see the option to back up the dictionary um, and the ability to transfer it from machine to machine. That would be very, very cool. Um, because as I've said, I've got no problem going in and editing those files, but a lot of people steer away from it because if it isn't broken, don't try and fix it. But it's an application that's definitely worth a try, especially so because it's free. So as I say, it's from 2AM Software, and we'll put uh, a direct link to the uh, download site in the show notes, and uh, go and give it a try. See what things you've added to your dictionary over the years and have completely forgotten. Well mm. worth a try. Okay, on to feedback. And we got an email this week at Matbytes HQ, didn't we? We did indeed. Colin emailed us this week um, about Bento. We were talking about Bento last week and um, the release that never was, I think. Anyway, Colin says that he went from version 1 to version 2 and he found that there were useful improvements. They had updated and sorted speed issues. Um, and he says, I find the ability to get your address book data in different ways really useful and to link to files, link files to those records. And in fact, I run the household and most of my life on it. I use the relational bit to set up combined client database, job cards, invoicing accounts, etc. Simple but effective. And I hear version 3 has some bugs but should be good when it's sorted. Well, that's fantastic to hear. Um, I must admit, I've not gone into the relational bit of it at all. Um, I've kept things fairly simple in there, but I, I do use it. And I noticed when I went to Snow Leopard, um, the file that I had in Bento, I couldn't use because I still had version one. So I did have to wait, but uh, I've got the trial of version three on there and I'm definitely going to be buying. So it was really great to hear from you, Colin, because you also had some very nice things to say about the show. So thanks for that and long may you enjoy it. Yep, long may you enjoy it. Well, that's it for this episode of Mac Bites. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. So you can contact us via the website, macbytes.co.uk or directly via email at macbytesuk at gmail.com. You can keep up with what we're up to via Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. So until next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you Macbytes. Goodbye and see you next time. See you next time.